0: Three-dimensional, transforming, musical, linguistic objects.
1: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And today I'm going to play a recording of our recent live salon to give a better idea of what some of our conversations are like when we don't have a featured guest. In other words, it's, uh, it's just some people who have become good friends during the course of the pandemic and who enjoy getting together once a week on Zoom. Now, those are the regulars, of course. We also have new people drop by each week, uh, mostly to lurk, but from time to time they also uh, sometimes become a regular visitor to the salon. I began hosting these live salons once a week in 2018, but since the beginning of the pandemic, we've been having two sessions a week. These are held on Monday evenings at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time and at 11.30 a.m. on Thursdays. That earlier time was set to make it easier for saloners in Europe to join us. Originally, these live salons were for my supporters on Patreon, but when the pandemic hit and some of my supporters lost their jobs, I began posting the link to each live salon on our Discord server, uh, so you can get to us there as well. Just go to psychedelicsalon.com, and at the top of the page is a link to our Discord server. There's no charge for this, and you don't even have to provide your email address, so uh, please feel free to join us sometime. As you're about to hear, uh, I've enlisted Charles as my co-host because he does a much better job than me at keeping our more loquacious saloners from letting the rest of us get a word in edgewise. And I say that with a smile on my face because over the years, uh, well, we've all become really good friends, uh, good enough to be able to tease one another without anyone's feelings being hurt. So please keep in mind that we're all smiling a lot during these conversations. And uh, by the way... I have now posted over 100 of these recordings of live salons on our Patreon page if you want to uh, hear more of these sessions. Now, uh, for the session that I'm about to play for you, as usual, when I post the announcement for the live salons, I suggest a topic. And uh, every once in a while, we do actually get to the suggested topic, <laughs> but but not always. Now, the topic for this salon was the Great Resignation, which I thought would be interesting because the age ranges of our saloners is, uh, well, from the 20-somethings to the late 70s. Usually, uh, we talk for an hour or so, and then the conversation begins to slide into stories about unusual drug experiences and things like that. However, this one went backwards. (laughs) For the first 20 minutes or so, we were sharing some really funny and and some recent stories about drug experiences that uh, well, have gone slightly awry. Those stories, however, I've uh, taken out of this podcast. You'll have to listen to the raw recording of this salon that I posted on Patreon last week if you uh, want to hear the edgy trip reports. (laughs) But uh, as we were joking, something prompted Ian to describe reaching a state of enlightenment after uh, ingesting some powerful edibles. He was then asked a question which eventually led us into a fascinating discussion of various paths to enlightenment. Now, don't expect to hear any new answers here today, but I thought that you may find it interesting to learn about what some of your fellow psychedelic explorers are talking about during the pandemic. Next week, I'll podcast a recording from a Monday Live Salon to give you a better idea of the direction the conversations take on different days. So now let's uh, sit in on a conversation a few of us were having on the one-year anniversary of the uh, failed coup attempt in Washington.
2: How do you get started with, on a journey with that much focus to like concretely get out of samsara? Uh,
3: the Dalai Lama was once, and this is why, this is the, the best in my, the best thing I've ever heard of the Dalai Lama was he was giving a talk in LA and a guy, and a, a guy put up his hand and said, what is the fastest way to enlightenment? Like what, what's the, and he just started crying.
4: He <laughs> just started crying.
3: It's the the starting the starting point is 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 sort of it's, it's right now. It's the as far as I can tell, because I'm not a religious figure as much as Lorenzo would like to tell you otherwise. Uh, <laughs> I, I <laughs> it seems to me that there's a path, and when we talk about a path, when we talk about people who friends of ours or who people we know, we say yeah, they're on the path. Well, what is that path? We all know what I'm talking about, people, and I—I and I think the best I can articulate it, and I'd love people to chime in. But it's to be a better person. To be a better every day, every just to be a better person, and and it's it's right action, right? You don't the 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 guy in front of you in line who's pissing you off. You don't punch him, right? You don't go, "Hey, motherfucker, I was here." Da 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 da, and get in their face because that's bad that's bad speech, right? So you have right, right action, right speech, and then right thought. And that's where the real battle is, because you can stop yourself from punching them, you don't want to make a scene, especially if you're living in England. But the thoughts in your mind of like, how many different ways that person in front of you is terrible, and what they're wearing, and who they are, and oh, my God, and they're on the phone, and they just said library, you know, like, there's, there's to stop that chatter. And one of the last things that Kat let go when she was, you know, early on, because it's a path, it's just a constant honing of everything you do and everything you think to be a better person and not to ride yourself too hard to have forgiveness. But the general trend is toward, is toward embetterment. And at the end of that, the end of that path is Buddhahood where you just transcend the whole thing. And you just, oh, right, I get it. And I'm one with it. And and the Buddha is the one who, as the carousel goes around, instead of getting off the ride, grabs the brass ring for another incarnation saying, I could have gotten off, but I'm going to go back and help people. And... Those are the ones that choose to be reborn when they could have been enlightened. Those are the enlightened religious figures throughout history. That's how that would be. And a lot of them, names we never knew who lived in villages we never heard of in lands that are now under the sea or, you know, gone and gone in history. So because, if you have
5: to, because if you have to make a decision, if you have to make an affirmative decision and the, and the negative decision is in your head, then you're fucked because you don't get points for making the right decision if your thought has the wrong decision, seems to be what you're articulating.
3: I don't know. That's an interesting, um, that's an interesting, that's an interesting angle on it. Um, so the right, having the wrong thought, so, so you're saying that's a law of unintended... I'm saying, well, what, you, you, what
5: you're articulating is that there's, there's right thought is a real key piece of it. Like right speech is easy. You don't say motherfucker. You know, right action is easy. You don't punch somebody. But right thought if you're standing in line and that person says "Library," and hmm. you know you're giving yourself a pat on the shoulder because you didn't you know curse at that person and you didn't punch that person, well, tough shit for you because you still thought that those are things that you might do, you still entertain those ideas, so yes. right thought Ooh. was the battle yes, right thought exactly. so, so so the fact that that even enters your process of thinking disqualifies you. From, you know, from being, right from, from, right yeah. from right thought. So so the key is it's that really- it has to be, so that the key is that it has to occur automatically, you have to be so in alignment, in your in terms of your behavior, that yes. these things just don't even occur to you, you become yes. to a certain extent, extent, um, you know, as invisible as a bubble. You know, moving through the world. Yes, and this is a you know, there's a Ken Kesey remark um, that I'm going to mangle to a certain extent. He said the path to enlightenment isn't about getting out of life; it's about getting into life. And I think that's what you articulated with this idea that you get the brass ring and you decide, no, I'm going to pass on it, you know, and come back and try to help people. That's the getting in. So, which which suggests to me that Kathy is as high vibration as she is is fucked because if she's looking to get out. If she's looking to be on this path and and, and choosing the path of of sacred withdrawal um, so that she doesn't come back, that suggests to me that there's an element of right thought that's not in alignment because, you know, she's making a decision in the negative rather than the
3: affirmative. She's making she's not making a decision in the negative. Her she's making an
5: aspiration in the negative. I don't want to come back.
3: No, it i think that well that's that's my fault in articulating that particular position and she would absolutely uh put it in different words and a different thing and shame me for some reason. okay some, but, but this
5: is consistent i don't want to get too much into you and me squabbling but like this is consistently how you've described this to me over the last year
3: no i i think that her her baseline prayer is for the higher rebirth of all sentient beings and the ease of suffering of all sentient beings. So that's the baseline. That's the base of the pyramid. The base of the py- pyramid is all of us are going, all of us are going up. I'm praying for my, I'm tuning myself to where I'm I'm moving upward toward that along the path. I'm moving up. I would love to get there. I probably won't for seven lifetimes and I'm not actually aspiring to it because that would imply that would imply such a titanic ego that like, I don't want any part in it, but I, that's kind of the path for me goes there and I'll get as far or might fall back. I'll be careful with myself. One of the, uh, but, but it's, I'm bringing everybody along. I'm bringing everybody along. The course correction I get from my behavior is so minute. It's just insane. Like I say one, I have one sort of wrong speech, right? Cause she'll call me on it. Like, why do you have to blame someone? Why does that person have, you know, the, there and it's it's an it's a it's an interesting dynamic. It's an in, interesting push pull. There was a mo. I think one of the when I first met her, she had just an absolutely cutting sense of humor, in where she could just take people down in that beautiful English way. Where one, you know, I walked into the restaurant one day and her head maitre d looked wore a collared shirt and he said, "Ian, I didn't know you bold," and that was it. I can never wear that shirt. He just turned it like. And that was the environment she was in this rapier wit and slowly she let backed up on it because there was a cruelty to it in cutting someone down. There's a cruelty to making fun of people. There's a cruelty to, to, you know, looking down on people for whatever they're without considering all the things that had brought them to that moment in the Waffle House. Um, and one of the things that, That was hard for her after she let go of that. And I remember a particular incident. She couldn't get over large women wearing uh, skin colored stretch pants. She just, it would just, something would trick. It was like, what is that person doing? Like, can't she, doesn't she know that it looks like she's not only enormous, but naked and enormous. And nobody wants to see that even in a McDonald's. Like that was the, the tick she just couldn't not comment, not like, Oh my God. Until she realized like, okay, I have to, like, I have to not, I can't like just have that one thing. And so instead of saying anything, I was like, okay, that's something I can do. Cause we all kind of judge people on their clothes or whatever that, you know, or, you know, that sort of gratuitous. bring it home. Ian. Bring it home. Yes. And bringing it home. She, uh, we would look at each other and notice it and then, and then say noted. So instead of articulating it, one of us would just, we both sort of see someone on the subway and then turn to go noted. And then we just, then that became kind of a nod. And then it became, we don't even really And now it's almost like it, you don't see it. And that's the right thought that you're talking about, Charles, where you're, you're right. You're, it's happening immediately. You're not having the thought and then discounting it for being right. The wrong
5: o- fault. O- o- okay, let's pause there and let Chris in.
3: Um, I just wanted to hit
6: on on something that Ian had said about the struggle between, I mean, the, the thing that you you helped flesh out as well about right thought and about how if you have self consciousness about your thought process, like how how do you what's the line between authenticity and and knowing that you're capable of evil. I think this is what the the mm. curse of the garden is, is the knowledge of good and evil. You know that you can do bad, and so then you're burdened with the duty to, to choose good. And I think that there's something... Um, I'm sorry, I'm about to see a dog walk out in the street. I'll talk in a
3: second. The I think what you're... And- Briefly. I can throw in a couple
4: of things. Go, go ahead. Go ahead, Rio. God. What? Go ahead. Oh, okay. A couple just comments. Um, my understanding is somebody who does choose to come back is known as a bodhisattva
0: mm-hmm.
4: in yes. this tradition, And it's occurring to me um, a story, a Sufi story I once read. That goes toward this right action idea, because I think the right action that in the West we tend to think about is the Judeo-Christian idea of right and wrong and good and bad. Um, and the story was to just hit the nutshell of it was that the Sufi, uh, went in and killed somebody and All of the disciples around him said, oh, my God, what are you doing? That's horrible, blah, blah, blah. blah. And he said, no, it isn't, because this man is going to rain uh, terror on humanity um, in 10 years if I don't get rid of him. Uh, So right action, I don't think is always needs to be looked at in terms of Judeo-Christian right and wrong. And the final point, I was going to say, based on the experience Ildiko and I had, In Morocco, with brownie mixes, don't assume that it's consistent. The uh, strength is consistent through the whole mix.
5: (laughs) Chris, I see you're back. Do you want to go
6: back into your point? Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the phrase from the I think from the Golden Dawn. Um, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. I don't really know too much about like the depths of of the meaning behind it, but like what it's always meant to me is something closer to what Pema Chodron would talk about with like noticing the reaction that you're going to have anyway, but just trying to pause for a split second before you have the reaction and notice that it's coming. Like instead of being subject to your reactions, you can observe them as they're about to happen and as they're happening and recognize that. Since there's a since there's a gap between you and your reaction, it's not really something that's inherent to you. It's something that you're able to observe. So like there must be there must be some space there, and so that's an extraordinary than, interpretation of Aleister Crowley. Well, I understand, but I'm gonna I'm gonna link them up. I think that because because it's love under love is the law, love under will, right? I think that each individual due to their conditioning, like comes out with certain patterns and desires and that trying to suppress those only reinforces and strengthens them and trying to understand your patterns and find a loving place in your heart for your shadow gives you the space to see that inclination without being subject to being owned by it. Did that track?
5: It's an extraordinary interpretation. I don't know if about, enough about Crowley to say whether you're onto something or not onto something. I just know I've never heard that philosophy described in
6: that way. I think that the Judeo Christian judgment, uh, which causes you to sever all parts of yourself you judge to be evil from your self concept, is a very damaging psychic phenomenon over the last thousand years. And I think that we're just recovering from it over the last couple hundred and we kind of have to figure out systems. And like, I I think that's what Crowley was doing was reacting to the collapse of the social order under Christianity and trying to help reclaim some of the psychic damage that was done by, by that.
1: Here, I think it's where language comes in, uh, because I, I I agree with Rio that the you know the concept of evil is a Judeo-Christian concept, and I think uh, Anne Shulgin's concept of not saying you're part evil, she says, you talks about your shadow, and I think that is a more productive way to look at these things.
5: Yeah, and that's and that's Jungian. That, that comes from Jungian analysis.
7: And if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly Chris what I'm reading in Crowley's notion is is the idea that you can align your behavior with an external model of what you're supposed to do what behavior constitutes right according to a cultural belief system or you can only engage in behavior that draws a direct line between a genuine desire within you and an action you want out in the world. And that you don't go through an external model in order to verify whether this is something that is worth your engagement in the world. You go exactly straight from, you know, and, and so there's no point in engaging in a in an act of love that does not come directly from a desire within you to, to sort of manifest something
6: in the world. Right. Don't do service because you think it's what a good person would do. But like, if you, if you don't want to look at that within yourself and don't do it. But if you, your true will is
3: behind many layers
6: of false understand false self-understanding
3: Would you rather have the good deeds done though? Would you rather have the good deeds uh, uh, done by people with like, you know, with the wrong coming from the wrong space, but the, the I'm going to try to describe a kind of
6: person who you might know who is probably a woman and is very considerate and thoughtful about all the people in her life and never forgets a birthday. And like is is always considering other people's feelings, but then is also has an edge of resentment because nobody spends that much time, effort, energy, and attention on them. And it's not that those behaviors of givingness are inappropriate, but when not combined with appropriate boundaries, a person can have the tendency to give too much of themselves. Does that track? Yeah, that tracks. But the antidote think think of that, Go ahead. I, I think that especially women in our society to are let Chris finish. to give to, to give more than they than is appropriate sometimes and and more than is what they would authentically want to give if they were paying en- enough attention to to caring for themselves.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead, Ian. No, I was just going to say I may be related to that person.
5: We all, we, all, we all know that couple. person. We all know that person. We've all got, you know, at least one of them in our life.
6: So I would rather tell my mom, oops. I'd rather tell her that um I'd rather she not give that service if it's not authentically coming from her desire to give it. Like I don't want wait, her to do wait, it because wait, wait. she's feeling obligated. But you know but the, the, a... the
5: problem is saying that to somebody absolves you of your issue. And I'm not saying you in particular, but it's like I don't think it's a solution to say, well, if you're not getting the response that you want, don't do it. You know, because they're doing it from wherever they're coming from. And um, you know, I, I think what they want is is um is more empathy. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I'm thinking about digging wells in Africa, is generally done by Christian uh, volunteer organizations, historically. Now, do you want those wells there because they're trying to convert everyone to, you know, to Christianity, or would you rather that people came who, who were coming from a neutral space, or just health and hygiene came in who weren't Christians who put those wells there?
7: And do you really want to leave leave the cash on the table that? like american church teenagers have access to through their communities like do you want to take that and put it towards like building some wells even if even if along the way there's some like spiritual tourism going on like are the wells useful enough like it's a it's a complex equation but oh yeah you know these kids have access to money
3: this goes back to the point rio made where which is like the, the the idea of right and wrong and right you know Leading to right speech and right action, right thought. That maybe that's not that the the terminology is 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 more, um, I, I guess, towards compassion. Uh, that that's where the that's where the distinction the distinction lies. Not so much good and evil as um, kindness and cruelty, love and fear. One so, thing,
6: my therapist friend likes to talk about rather than good and bad is how effective is this at getting the outcome that you want
3: so what are you trying to achieve
6: with right action i like rio said trying not to view it through the like morally good or bad lens but through the what is this behavior going to achieve like is this the right thing to get the outcome that i desire?
7: And in the real world, like, I mean, I spent a lot of time with like service organizations and NGOs, grant writing, that kind of thing. And there's sort of like two components of it. There's, there's what you can write on paper. Like, we're going to go to this place, we're going to dig a well. And then when we leave, the people that live there are going to have access to a water source, you know, that is a lot closer and more convenient than the, you know, spring they had to walk to. Now, like my favorite anecdotal you know, spin-off of that dynamic is a story that I heard of a Peace Corps group that went to, I think it was Ghana, and they went out to a remote location, and they built a well for a village, and then they left, and somebody, you know, came back to check on the project a year later, and the well was covered over with cement, and they they asked, like, around, you know, what happened, and nobody really wanted to talk about it, and they finally found some, you know, cook at the, at the edge of the village who was willing to fess up, and said that, well, the way it had worked in the past was the kids would get sent during the day down to the spring to fetch water, and it would usually take them about an hour and a half to two hours to get back. And so that's when the parents would make love. And with this new well in the village, like they were like, well, shit, what are we going to do? And so they they just made a decision as a group. They were going to cover over the well and go back to the old spring. Um, because the social cohesion of the relationships in that network were more important than, you know, so like.
5: You just described the history of Christian colonization in the most effective anecdote I can imagine.
7: Oh, it's yes. It's, it's a sharp, it's, it's a sharp critique, but um, yeah. I mean, the point I was trying to make was that there's, you know, you can, you can write up certain on the ground consequences that you expect to be you know, outcomes of a project. But the way in which those experiences teach compassion to all those involved in sort of this mixing of cultures that happens when people from one part of the world come and there's dynamics of people serving and being served. There's dynamics of gift giving and receiving. And, and, and those experiences take a really long time to like unpack in a person's life into an awareness of like, oh, I was there as a white knight and that's not really a helpful dynamic for me to engage people with. So I need to, you know, but that takes 10 years before you sort of unpack that. Um, and so these are things that you sort of have to spread a lot of seeds and hope a few of them, you know, grow into elevated consciousness of some kind.
5: I also kind of underscore, you know, the the unspoken dynamics of of um, a lot of what we're talking about is that this ability to kind of water your spiritual self is a luxury problem in 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 the light of um, being a member of society and the kind of "do what thou wilt" moral relativism. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say it leads directly to what we're commemorating the one year anniversary of, but it certainly is a symptom of <clears throat> the kind of lack of cohesion that we're living through that's leading to the topic of today's discussion of, you know, the great resignation, the great oh. sense of, the great, the great sense of, um, disenchantment with society and in participating in the project of society. And, it's complicated. It's difficult. It's a lot easier to articulate, you know, I'm going to drop out and not look at the news and meditate or take acid or, you know, whatever and not, not be a part of, um, of engaging. Um, because certainly then you only have yourself to disappoint. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, bring us to the kind of cohesion that keeps society, you know, moving in, in a way that we're taking care of each other.
1: Here, here's where we need to really just define, I think, what we mean by the great resignation, uh, because uh, there's a big difference between resigning from the corporate world uh, of large corporations and resigning from society itself and culture, uh, for example, in on July 31st of 1999. I took a leave of absence from the best corporate job, highest paying, freest to do things with, great budget, all kinds of travel perks. And I I walked away from it all. It was my, I never came back. It, it's essentially my great resignation from the corporate world. But I have not at all disengaged from the rest of the world. In fact, I've I've engaged more fully in the rest of the world because I don't have to give, you know, 10 12 hours a day to some corporation to uh, help benefit their shareholders so you know that that's the great resignation that i see and i i do understand though that there are are a lot of people that are just dropping out of of society and then there are are the the uh the trumpistas who are resigning from this country and uh you know trying to foment a new civil war and and they're getting very successful at it so you know there's a lot of uh things going on you know there's There's so many moving parts, uh, but the, the part that I was fascinating about, fascinated about is the article I saw where last November, uh, four and a half million people quit their jobs. Just, they didn't get fired. They didn't get laid off. Uh, they just actually just resigned and quit. And, and my guess is a, a significant number are the fast food workers and, and, and people who just, you know, they're getting paid, you know, crap wages and they're out and getting abused by the public. And, you know, I know I have, I have a daughter and granddaughter who worked in the restaurant industry and and they're getting yelled at all the time and uh, and they're not getting great wages. So I think that's a lot of it. It's a resignation from a way that they were living before, you know, essentially paycheck to paycheck. I don't think it's a resignation from society, but, you know, I could be be wrong there. So, uh, you know, feel free to discuss it in all these different forms. But uh, uh, the one that I was really referring to was a resignation from uh, the, the grind of a paycheck to paycheck life and finding a better way to uh, feed yourself and your family.
5: It, well, I think it's complex and I, I just want to briefly jump in on a point, which is I don't think it was the fast food workers. I don't think those people have enough of a cushion economically to just walk away from it. That's I think it point. was, I, I think it was corporate middle management and millennial middle management. Um, I'm going to put a, a article in the chat that I read this morning, um, articulating the millennial, um, Great resignation that uh, CNET wrote, you know, recently kind of articulating this sense of um the cult of work and the cult of office life, you know, was dealt a blow by this notion that you can work from home and, you know, just kind of the underlying sense of well, why was I giving, you know, 17 of my 24 hours to, you know, this environment? But, you know, it was people that had enough of a cushion or enough mobility that they weren't necessarily living paycheck to paycheck. I think, you know, there are there a lot of people that were in that essential worker category that just didn't have that luxury.
1: Yeah, and they're the ones, I guess, that are unemployed. I think you're exactly right. The 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 great resignation is uh, the middle management, the people who maybe already have their their college uh, Kids' college paid for, or you know, got it settled out somehow, or they've
5: already got student debt, and they're just so deep in debt. Yeah. And you know, I got this master's degree so that I can be an adjunct professor at the same school that fleeced me. <laughs> you know, and be an indentured servant. You know, in the knowledge profession. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of those people. Yeah, like what I are you going to do? do? You've, I'm already, I'm already overburdened with debt. So. so you
3: used to just be able to go to the hills and grow weed, but now even that's even the, there's a cue for that. Right. <laughs> I would hate to have. To, I mean, back then it was there was a there was legal entanglements and all that, but you know the profits were good, and you can go you know whatever it was for 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 a year or six months, and that. But now it's a. As I understand what's going on in Northern California, that's not a fun place to be. Is
5: there anywhere that's fun to be? I'm not sure that there's anywhere that's fun to be. Well, if you if
1: you
3: well, take on Charles, if you, we can talk you, about that later.
1: If if you think of fun as an acronym, then every place is fun to be. Because uh, when I was in the
5: corporate world, fun meant fucked up nightmare. Right, Mike. Do you want to set off what this article
0: is you put in? Yeah, this this guy's named David Dayan. Uh, he's the editor for something called the American Prospect. He thinks quite deeply about economics, and uh, you know, it's just another opinion uh, to look at for what caused this great resignation. And so, I mean, I read it a while ago. Uh, I'm one of those people that, as you know, is kind of dropping out as best as I can. I still read articles like this. It isn't like I've dropped out completely, but you just may want to look it over and see if you agree or disagree. Can you summarize the nut of it? I, I can't. I, you know, I just I, I read it a while ago, and I thought he was pretty much spot on on white people. We're quitting, And it's what one of you just said, something about, you know, a lot of the um, low-paying jobs. People are just tired of it, and it seemed like a good time to get out. And uh,
1: Mike, for, for okay. what it's worth, I never thought you dropped out. I just figured that you're on a sabbat- uh, sabbatical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I can tell you that I'm really, I mean, it's weird. I would have never enjoyed today's conversation. A year ago. And right now it is resonating so much. Um, I think it's because I'm involved with this base course. There's a, I'm dealing talking with a lot of other people that are involved with. I mean, they know about Buddhism, Hinduism. There, there's and I used to, to study this when I was a little kid, about 10 or 15 years old or so. And I haven't thought much about it since then. Um, but, what about being a better person yeah yeah kinda of, you know i I used to worry about it back then, or you know about ending the cycles of reincarnation and and that that sort of conversation and it but it's starting to resonate a lot now, and part of it's this course, and part of it is I just feel like I'm getting healthier, and I'm going back to thinking how I used to think when I was younger, and so i i think I think it's important that we're we treat ourselves well, you know, stay healthy so we can think and address, you know, the problems in society the best, the best we know how. And uh, so, I don't know, there's just so many comments. Even, even you, Ian, was like, uh, I was impressed today with some of your comments. So, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah, I, your, your wife, the, describing her reminds me of, um, I don't know, it's reminding me of a lot of different people and i don't know them anymore you're pretty lucky to to have that in your household
3: i get asked a lot the um what are you trying to achieve and sometimes just trying to get into the cookie jar but other times it's it's like right what am i by talking to this person or by contacting or writing this letter or or even even just making an offhand comment like what are you, what are you actually trying to, what are you trying to achieve? And it can be something that's minute, you know, like, huh, I guess, I, I guess we're no longer putting the scissors where we said we were going to put the scissors. Like what, what, what is the, what are you trying to achieve? You would, you're trying to get the scissors always in that drawer. Hey, could you please keep the scissors in this drawer? Great. That's all you can, That's all you can do. But to put that. So it puts blame a little bit on another, like, uh, and it, it can be done with humor and in the right company, you can push that bound, those bounds quite far. But the reality of, especially if you don't know the person that you're encountering on the street or in the store or whatever, what is your, what is your general forgiving attitude for, for that person's, for that person's day. And it seems obvious, but like so few people are having this conversation. Like, God bless you, everybody. I, I, I'm glad to be here. and I'm glad there's this room. And I'm glad for my wife. And I'm glad for all of your friends and all of their friends, probably. Yeah, but God bless that, us, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Because there's, this conversation is just not being had. I mean, it's really it's, are we sure it, about yeah. that? No, I mean, it's just not by.
4: All right, Josh.
3: no, but it's not being had by any grand proportion. And it, this conversation is being
0: had by a group of, of two hundred people that I'm interacting with on on this course, and so so it is happening in places. We just need to go and find where those places are, and then and then both you you so you just said what are we trying to achieve, and I think Chris said what we're trying to achieve. You know, I don't even think about what it is I'm trying to achieve nowadays. I just I just I just go into action.
3: You're I, not trying I to become a veteran. I don't
0: think about where it's
3: going or what's going on. I just act. You're not trying to walk the path to enlightenment, you're just trying to get through the day. I I act
0: thinking that I can help. I I think my uh I think my path is service. And it okay. isn't that's because that's I, I feel like I like someone was mentioning they feel like they have to serve. I think it just comes naturally. And so so that's what I'm doing without thinking much about it. I'm interacting now with tons of people and luckily they all have drugs. So, you know, that's going to work out well. (laughs) I think that there's an
5: element here that's worth interjecting that corresponds to Lorenzo describing, you know, his, his leave of absence when he was 56, 57 years old. Um, And, you know, where, where you are, Mike, which is we don't put a lot of value in society on rites of passage between one phase of life and another. But, you know, you basically entered a new phase of life in the last year or two where you stepped away from the grind of the academic job and now you're finding, um, you know, your new footing. And I like to think of this that there's your learning phase and or your learning profession There's your service phase and or your service profession, which is the midlife where, you know, you're contributing to whatever it is that you're contributing to. And then there should be the wisdom phase or your wisdom profession where you take what you gathered in your learning and service aspects of life and you, and you put it back into the world. And it sounds like you're at the very beginning of that. Lorenzo certainly has taken what he learned from his you know, Conan-like existence of having, you know, a hundred different jobs and a hundred different adventures, um, as a young and middle-aged man. And he put that into the salon, you know, from a wisdom profession point of view. And it's useful to kind of think of, if not this nomenclature, at least that there are different phases within one's life that one finds themselves. And so how do you best interact with that phase? And so it sounds like you're at the beginning of your wisdom, you know, phase.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good place to be. I you know, so I, I maybe I mentioned this at the last salon but you know, in in the last year the reintroduction to psychedelics, I feel like I'm right back to where I was at 18, where I'm still, you know, where I was spiritually looking for things. And somehow this, you know, 30 years of work will tie in. I I think I did have some service to students and and in a way that's continuing. Uh,
3: so i'm I'm still all excited. It sounds about like you're, it sounds like you're finding the courage of the convictions you held uh when you were coming of age.
0: Yeah that's right
5: and, and freedom yeah, and freedom. I mean you've, you, you know this is what retirement is supposed to be, that you know you've basically satisfied your material needs, and so you can focus on things other than the material needs.
3: This is very, this is very Vedic astrology, Saturn return. Um, right. The, for for those who don't, the earth takes 365 days to go around the sun. We call that a year. Everybody with me? Great. Saturn takes 28 years to go around the sun. So in 28 years, Saturn will be in the place it was in, in, in your star sign when you were born. And that, and, and so that, that 28 year, it's the Saturn
5: return. So what were you, what, what, point were you going to make with that?
3: Okay. So the Saturn, the first Saturn return, the first, the first stage of that journey is gathering blocks. Think of it like Lego things that you're good at things. You, you can, um, if things, you're we got to keep going people, you get people, you get on with, you're figuring you're, you're gathering all the blocks. And then at 28, you, you enter the homeowner phase of your, of your existence. And you start putting those blocks into things. You you build the plane. You build the hospital. You build the uh, you build the new life. You 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 find the person that you're with. You build the life out of those things. And then when Saturn comes around again at around the age of fifty six, you know you sweep the fucking blocks off the table, let them shatter on the floor. Put on your robe and walk the earth like Cain and Kung Fu.
5: Right. And the contract is being violated. And that's why there's this sense of, um, people stepping off or becoming disillusioned with the treadmill because the, the middle part, the service part, you're not actually amassing anything that's going to get you to the wisdom part. You're in a, you're in a prolonged period of serfdom where either you're on the hand to mouth, um, you know, working in the service industry aspect of life, or you're in the, I've got a lot of debt, and I'm an adjunct professor for the rest of my life, and I'm never going to own a house. And if I'm lucky, you know, maybe I'll get a job with insurance and pay off my bills by the time I'm 56. Um, you know, or you're in the never ending grind of either the gig economy, or the corporate middle management, you know, hustle. And so, There's that, that middle section that you're describing where you take the Legos from your first 28 years and you build the house and you, you create some level of stability so you can get to 56 to 69 and decide, okay, I've done my bit and now I'm going to, you know, spend the rest of my life, you know, just getting rid of what I've acquired. Nobody's, nobody's acquired in that middle period. So the contract is broken. And And that broken contract,
3: 56 year mark. I'm sorry. No one looks after you at the 56 year mark. No one looks after you ever.
5: No one looks after you ever. No one looks after you at 22. No one looks after you at 62. No one looks after you at 82. This is what people are reacting to right now.
4: If I I can throw a little vector in, Ian, what you're describing in some ways has been the uh, Hindu tradition. You know, yes, one goes through those stages and then says, "Okay, I'm done doing my thing for my family, for society, and I go off and seek enlightenment. Um, but what I think it has happened, and Charles is addressing this, is that we've been taken over by the world market, right, and the world market doesn't really give a shit about your life. it just wants you to produce, produce, produce until you fall dead. The world
5: market is a post human intelligence that runs on cycles that are not humane, so it it, it just fe- feeds and thrives on all of us and all of our energy and is able to exist on vast cycles that we 're unable to contemplate and so we work and work until we drop dead in the service of that market or in the service of you know probably a better post human intelligence you can wrap your arms around because it actually is allowed to have political opinions is the corporation, you know, which is a living entity, which does feed on the lifeblood of human energy and sustains itself over you know, human generations. And so the contract has been broken where we feed our energy into these post-human entities, but the contract that we get taken care of and get to live through these life cycles has been broken. I spoke longer. I wanted to, Rio. Please go back into where you were going.
4: Well, one other thought did occur to me earlier, uh, which is a little bit tangential at this point, but that um, I'm recalling that the Tibetans talked about when, you know, especially Tibet was essentially destroyed. It's tried to rebuild uh, Tibetan culture in India, but that they considered the planet to be in a big problem because those people who were there in Lhasa and living in Tibet were producing conscious energy for humanity, and so I, I was kind of taking note of the comment you made. I think it was the end that just getting through your day isn't enough, but you know, depending on how you get through your day, and one of the things that maybe we do in this salon and in other activities that we engage in is to try to produce more conscious energy, because that task really has moved to the West. So it's not necessarily, I guess what I'm trying to draw attention to is that what humans are capable of doing, which is transforming energies to make them higher, as opposed to, and life does that, as opposed to thermodynamics, which says that everything runs downhill. um, It may not be... On the surface apparent what our benefit that we can bring to life is and at least the way that was formulated that i understood from the tibetans was an increase in conscious energy
3: which I will, humanity is very
4: much in need of
3: i will ask i will ask cat to chip in and maybe stop by oh well, she's on this course but after she's done because it's tibetan uh it's a tibetan monk that she follows and she's she, since I've been and I don't mean following in the kind of guru sense it's just like he seems to teach this course best
5: the the so. thing the thing about what you're saying rio and and i and i agree with you that there's an element of of conscious energy and consciousness energy that we can and should be producing is that comes after needs are met and i think one of the biggest problems that we're facing At least in the West, although I suspect everywhere, is that everybody's under-resourced unless you're fantastically over-resourced, and there's really not a lot of ground in between. So contributing and building the conscious energy is very difficult to do when you're chronically under-resourced and everybody in your structure is chronically under-resourced.
3: And under-resourced
5: in terms of time as well. Every way that you can interpret under-resourced. Go ahead,
4: Rio. I, I will say, though, that I think, uh and Yildiko can address her point of view on this, but our experience in Morocco uh, does take a different uh direction on that because they, they're under-resourced, by and large. There are people who are over-resourced, you could say, um, but that they do maintain a certain level of energy despite that and attitude and interest in life and caring, you know, everything. Do they have families? And they have a family structure. They have a Mm -hmm. community structure. Right. Which Harari talks about, he talks about the two big things, um, at least two big things that have destroyed, uh, you know, civilization, especially in the West, is the loss of community and the taking over of our lives by the market. Yeah, the the, the,
5: the the granular individuality and the cult of individuality leads to this chronic under-resourced sensibility. One, one of the articles I put into the chat is a recent uh, Time Magazine report on how, for the first time in who knows how long, there's more single men than women. And then it talks about the 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 con- how the erosion of marriage is contributing to certain adverse consequences in society and i think you know without getting into you know family values and traditionalism whatever you call your unit of um support whether it's family whether it's marriage whether it's community fewer and fewer people, at least in the West, have those traditional support structures, which is leading to this chronic sense of being under-resourced and this chronic sense of of complete competition and every person for themselves, um, which is really serving nobody except the extractive post-human intelligences that are monetizing our labor.
3: Well, if you want to chase it all the way back to Psychedelics. Then, really, the, the, the missing ingredient is, is tribe, which includes family, uh, and that has been broken for that has been broken for you know a, a, lo- a good long while.
5: I'm uncomfortable when white people talk about tribes
3: because there's a level there's a level of
5: appropriation that, that comes in and and idealization that comes in that that can that can distract from what we're really talking about is okay. people I'm knitting talking together. About
3: Thirty people. I'm talking about the 30 people to 60 people that are around you to support your shit. That could just Uh, as easily
5: be your congregation. I mean, this is the thing. Like it's not, it's not limited to, you know, try, I understand what you're saying with tribe, but I think, I think that it's, it's broader than that. It's about the units of human community that are supporting each other. And that could be any number of things.
3: Well, tribe is also connected to land. It's also connected to what your immediate surrounds and. Connected to language. What was that? And connected <laughs> to language. Well,
2: and, it I mean, it depends, too, because it sounds like, from my understanding, when you say tribe, more technically what you're talking about is clan, which would be family groups and also different skill sets, like cl- clans or groups of people would have a similar trade or a similar function in the societal context. So, yeah, it's like Charles is saying, it's not necessarily what we as western or white people would think when we hear tribe but it's yeah it's that number of people that those common ties and common purpose being yeah being
3: i would think then larger than family. i would think village then it takes anyway wait,
5: let's not get distracted by nomenclature it doesn't matter what no, matters but- what matters is the erosion of human support networks whatever you call them
3: yeah I'll go there.
5: That's and well, I mean, also
7: and also I, there's the notion there's the there's the proposition on on the part of the market that you can replace your organic family-based tribe-based clan-based systems of support and orientation in the world with the value symbols of the marketplace of, of this sort of consumer capital. So, and we're getting to the point where we're, we're seeing that for a family to be disconnected from those organic systems, like, geez, there are consequences down the road and it manifests it as individual alienation because that, that promise that the marketplace could replace what mom did for you, like it was a lie. And and oh, yeah. we're seeing that now. So we are in a situation of our own making where we've unplugged certain part of our human family <laughs> from these ancient systems of value and personal orientation. And, you know, it's kind of up to us who find ourselves in that situation to sort of navigate a way back or build systems that, you know, that replace it. And we're, we're at this point where we're sort of stretched to an extreme and we're seeing whether the system will break and we'll have people fragmenting off and, you know, being sort of Mad Max warriors who just kill them, kill each other, you know, and, you know, and that the people who'd never strayed from the old cultural models, you know, will, will clan up again and survive. You know, we don't know how it's going to go down, but it feels like we're at a, at a tension point where our ability to function in these extreme states of disconnection from the old models is being tested.
3: Andrew, I, I don't know if – it feels to me like – and I think a lot of people that, that it's – what you're talking about is accelerating. There's been a drift. There's been a slow drift if you want to go back to, you know, katal and people having, you know, psilocybin allergies at the <laughs> slow full Slow
5: drift from 5,000 years ago. Okay, yeah, exactly.
3: It's been it's been a slow <laughs> drift. Only now it's rocket ship accelerating, aided by technology. I heard today uh, that YouTube has a uh, – they're – people are watching a billion hours a day or one point whatever but what that translated to was 116,000 years strung hour to hour and that's what humanity is watching every fucking day and you think there's the wedge driving people apart like those are or those are well there the
5: there people. there's the window there's the window into post humanity is that you know we're we're measuring the the organizational success of YouTube on this this scale of metrics that is not consumable by a human life that is not measurable in a single human life unreal and to build on something Andrew said about the um, the marketplace atomizing the family and, and stepping in to you know provide some of those roles of the family, I find it very interesting with um, people that are producing content in YouTube and Instagram environments that. The the way they address their fan base is fam. Hey fam, and, uh, and, and and that means something in this context as well.
4: That
7: drives me crazy. Well, it's interesting that for this generation, uh, addressing followers as fans, fam, as fam, fam, f a m, F-A-M. fam, yeah, right. Addressing yeah. them as family doesn't it doesn't like push a button that people react like. Well, I already have a family. Like, that's an open circuit. Like, people don't have a whole lot crowding. Let, at let's, let,
5: let's let Larry in. Go ahead, Larry.
7: Well, no,
8: that's, that's all I was going to say. When people say that, it drives me crazy because I am not your family. I am just somebody that interacts with you on the Internet and might make you laugh, and you might make me laugh. But Jesus Christ, you're not going to help me move my records. This is, this is just they're not family.
3: Larry, if you live nearby, I'd help you move your goddamn records.
8: I don't have any records anymore, but I always use
3: that as an example of family
8: or friends.
5: Correct, and 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 that and that's the thing is that there's this there's these unfair and unrealistic expectations or or, or value exchanges that are being used and or the complete devaluation of what this concept means. And I'm putting my chips on the ladder, is that we're completely devaluating whatever family means in this. And I don't think anybody's doing it malevolently, but this is the drift that the culture is in.
8: Yeah, I think that's right. And, And fam, at this point, is interchangeable with friends.
5: Is interchangeable with consumer of my intellectual property. Okay, is it though? That's is it
2: though okay, how many of us speaking right now, though, actually identify with this concept in any complex way? I think we can do a lot of speculating, but I think there are, probably are people that would help each other out. And I think to a certain degree, for young people that are in maybe like extremely rural areas where they don't have anyone that even exists with the kind of thoughts or ideations that they have to have this digital resource to them that is as essential as family. And I I don't, it just doesn't sound like from what we're saying that we actually have the knowledge to speak to that from our own experience. Well,
8: I can say that that people that I know that say that live in Ireland and Russia and, you know, Florida. And, you know, (laughs) we're never going to meet, we're never going to really do anything for each other. We just, like Charles said, we we consume each other's uh, intellectual property. I thought that was really well 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 put, Charles.
4: Go ahead, Isaac, well, if you uh, want another to... another way to look at that is that that's filling also a vacuum um, where people have become disconnected or their families don't really function anymore. i even thinking recently. I got a request from a friend who's uh, somewhere in Indonesia. I think it was. Uh, for a crowdfunder to help the family he's associated with rebuild their house. And so it's a way to reach out and try and create that. I'm not saying in all cases, but I think there is something where, you know, a vacuum is being filled or attempted to be filled.
2: And that's kind of what I'm pointing at, you know, is like it may not be the ideal situation, but if we're mourning this 5,000 year drift, and we might not like the taste of how people are trying to renegotiate the situation like someone's trying to fill the vacuum with something and like i don't know what we're trying to fill it with but i think an attempt is beautiful
5: well i think it depends on wh- on who benefits from the attempt and look very critically at the attempt if the attempt to fill The void of communities and family units that have been destabilized by the market with crowdfunders where the market benefits by taking a percentage of the charity that you're giving to build this house that Rio is talking about, then no, I don't think that that is necessarily a beneficial filling of the
2: void. Would you rather not have the house or would you rather have the house?
5: I think that that's a simplistic thing that you're describing because, again, that, you've got to look the, at the structures the that are axiom. underlying it and, yeah, but, and but articulate. Would you
2: rather – well, yeah, we're not going to destroy those structures in, in in 30 days. But if we can build a house in 30 days for some real people that don't have a house, and right now we don't have a better option for toppling the system, I don't know what we're complaining about. It seems well, like people are doing I don't, I don't, I don't doing believe that
5: work. we're complaining. I believe that we're interrogating the root causes of the situation that has got us to a place where – Individuals being asked to give their to round up their change at Whole Foods is in some way absolving Amazon of its corporate responsibility.
2: I'm not talking about Amazon. I'm talking about people on the internet referring to each other as family and trying to help each other out over geographical distance. I'm not talking about Amazon.
5: Well, I think that you're putting, I think that you're actually putting two concepts together that don't belong together. People referring to each other as family is one idea on the internet. People trying to help each other over distances is another idea on the internet. And they actually do not necessarily combine with each other. FAM well, is, is, is in many ways being used as a, as nomenclature to describe one's consumer base as opposed to a family thereby undermining the concept of family in the first
2: place but i guess i don't understand how the concepts don't go together if people are putting them together like whether we like it or not they're together now
3: I uh not in all that. instances go ahead oh no i think maybe what uh, the circle you're trying to square is charles you're saying that um You object to large corporations shaving their percentage off what is legitimate charitable action, where Isaac is saying, yes, but without that literal – without that that action, we wouldn't have the wells in Africa. We wouldn't have the – it may be – it may come from – it may come down the wrong pipe, but it gets there – in the end and that's what that is the yes it's a plaster yes it's a band-aid but that's what we need because we're bleeding until we actually change the system to get to build the hospital
4: well t- uh, just to throw another vector in <clears throat> i read an article yesterday a opinion piece in the new york times may have been either krugman or friedman who said that <clears throat> addressing what you touched on charles it's really the responsibility and the potential of the corporations to make a change here. And he was referring specifically to this struggle that's going on politically in America. Uh, And he made the point that, you know, the corporations may have the ability to stop the Trump movement. Uh, And his uh, point was that if they would see that it'd just be good for business then they would act more forthright. And his fear was that they were still supporting them while they're supporting the Democrats, trying to play both sides, um, you know, to hedge their bets. So, you know, we're kind of in this situation. We're not going to easily get out of it. Right. Um, and I also agree with you. We're not trying to solve a problem here. We're more trying to understand the situation.
5: Isaac, do you want to jump in?
2: No, that all makes total sense. I think Ian's analogy was spot on.
1: Well, since we've reached a little bit of a lull here, I'd, I'd like to, <laughs> to say that, that I have been really fascinated with this conversation today. And if, if, if I uh, cut out all of the early conversations that we had about the fun we were having with drugs in our youth and so forth, if I cut all of that out, does anybody have any objections to me podcasting this conversation today?
2: no please do yeah i, I think it,
1: it should be shared with a wider audience because uh everybody has you know i've i've actually begun to think that i need to start changing some of my opinions about uh uh enlightenment and transitions and stuff like that that uh, i haven't re in many years and so uh if it can move me that much then i think that it might be worthwhile to share our ideas with some other people so i really appreciate everybody uh Everybody's conversation and ideas today, I think, has been fantastic. Uh, so, does, I've been talking. Does anybody uh, have any objections? If so, uh, vote now or ever hold your peace. Forever hold your peace.
3: <laughs> I would like to object to Charles calling me a, a, a white man, even though it's totally <laughs> accurate.
1: Well, you you seem more uh, beige to me. I don't. I,
3: I wouldn't call you a white. It's man. The couch.
4: The couch effect. The, the <laughs> I, I don't know. You look more like an
3: octopus to me. <laughs> there we go. Oh, the camouflage is the camouflage is flickering. My my uh, stealth mode on, on, on the, <laughs> the internet.
5: Microphone. There's a filter for anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Remember the old cartoon that nobody knows you're a dog on the internet. <laughs>
5: <laughs> not,
1: not many Fuck people dude, Nobody knows that. you're a human on the internet anymore. That's <laughs> the problem. No, there you go. Nobody knows
5: you're a person. <laughs> well, listen,
1: we, we, it's interesting. We went we back to this conversation because usually at this point is when we're making silly uh, jokes and stuff. And we began this conversation that way. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave some of the humor in, but I'll take all the drug talk out because I don't want anybody <laughs> to be exposed here, uh, even <laughs> though the statute of limitation is obvious passed long ago on everything, uh, but your grandchildren might want to uh, not know about this. So. <laughs> in any event, everybody, uh, hey, this has been a great way to start off this year and a, a wonderful way to, to spend what is possibly one of the worst days ever in the history of the United States. And you guys have all contributed a lot of positive consciousness to the day that I think is dearly needed and so I appreciate that very much and uh till next time keep the old faith and uh <laughs> definitely stay high <laughs> <laughs> and for now this is lorenzo signing off from cyberdelic space namaste my friends